0: Good morning. Everybody, doing all right today? Um, Y'all know one good thing about winter. That's a question. Does anyone know anything good about winter? Because it has been so cold. Joel walked in this morning. He said, "Um, "Are you are you tired of the burr months yet?" Absolutely. Am I tired of the burr months? But it's good to see you here this morning. I know it's been an interesting week with the cold weather how it's affected us in many different ways, and so uh, it's good that you're here today, and I uh, want to welcome any of you that are visiting with us today, if this is your first time visiting, you should find in the bulletin, uh, we are high-tech rednecks here. You can use your phone and take a picture of this QR code, and it will bring you to an online bulletin, and it's got sermon notes, and it's got the order of worship, our prayer list, but it also has at the bottom of it, a place where you can um, fill out a digital bulletin. I'm sorry, a digital um, connection card. Just let us know that you're here. And if you're watching online, same thing. It's on your screen. It'll take you to the same place. So we want to know that you're worshiping with us, and we're grateful uh, that you have chosen to worship with us today. Um, Just a few announcements. You can see there in your bulletin. uh, First of all, uh, Arctic Barnabas blessing boxes. It's time again to start gathering our Arctic Barnabas blessing boxes. We're going to ship those uh, mid-March. So there's a list of items that are needed. And if you have any questions, you can visit with Ken, and he'll get you all straightened out on that. Uh, furthermore, um, there will be a youth camp fundraiser banquet Saturday, February 26th at 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. So we will, it's it's not called the Valentine's uh, fundraiser. It's just going to be later on in the month, so it won't really have a Valentine's theme. So, man, that means you're actually going to have to think about Valentine's this time. Um, so, be prepared. But if you would help the youth by RSVPing at least by the 19th, if they find out later on in that week, that should be fine as well. They just need to know how to prepare. Um, two other announcements um, there's some committees that we really need. Uh, to go ahead and get together and meet ASAP in order to select a chairman and begin your work. Um, one is house and, and it says garden and I probably made that mistake. House and ground because I'd have nothing. Uh, I don't know too many men that would have if we're talking about flowers uh, much to do with garden. Maybe you would be. But house and grounds, missions and special events. So if you would please meet. If you have any questions about because um, there, are, there are some things that those committees need to get busy with. Final announcement, our February business meeting is next Sunday night at 6.30 p.m. And the agenda is posted on the bulletin board. If there's something that you need to get on the agenda, just make sure you touch base with me uh, before Wednesday. And we'll get that on the agenda if it needs to be. And the reason I say if it needs to be is because that could be something that a committee needs to address before it ever gets to the business meeting. So that's why I want you to, to talk to me about it. Are there any announcements? Jared's got an announcement. All right, that was Walker approved, by the way. He heard spaghetti and went, spaghetti? Any other announcements? All right, I would like to read this morning for our call to worship from Isaiah 53. I'm going to read all 12 verses. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a, dry root, out of dry, a root out of dry ground. Now I want you to realize this, this is Isaiah prophesying about Christ. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and glory to God. That's not in the text. With his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. He, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's us. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see us, his redeemed people, and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, be made make many to be accounted righteous that's us we're the many and he shall bear their iniquities we are the they therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors amen let's worship together
1: One good thing about winter, snow days. No? Okay, I guess you have to be in education. Let's stand (laughs) together and sing this.
2: Measure who knows how to use it, you know how to use it. Anybody else? Well, this is a fun tool and it's also very useful, isn't it? Do you want to go? Let's see, why don't you go measure that? How tall is that altar table? The table right here, you want to see how tall that is? You need some help. Thirty inches. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. Okay, let's see.
0: Let's see how
2: tall Macy is. Can you stand up? About Forty-three inches. So you can measure a lot of things with the tape measure, can't you? And there are other tools for measuring just about anything. With a tape measure like this, you can measure how long or how wide something is. With a set of scales, you can measure how heavy something is. We've got thermometers. Those came in handy last week, didn't they? Got pretty cold. So what do you measure with an odometer in your car? how far you have gone, and how fast you're going. A speedometer tells you how fast you're going, right? Oh, okay. Well, now you know. <laughs> so, with the right tool, you can measure just about anything. But there's one thing you can't measure. You know what that is? God's love. you got it. Boy, cousin, you're on top of things today. So... Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. You can't measure God's love because it's everlasting. What does everlasting mean? Right, it goes on forever, and you can't measure something like that, can you? You also can't measure Jesus' love for us either. He gave his life for us, and that's something you can't measure, right? We can't measure God's love for us, but we can be thankful for it, to it to him Right? for it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our love for us is so big that we just can't measure it. Please help us to remember to pass on some of that love to others. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
1: shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all of your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants.
3: to you that our sin is greater, but we also know that our Savior is greater, and the fact that you would have to die for my sin makes no sense whatsoever.
0: Would please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Do I need to be a little louder for y'all or can you hear me okay? Okay, all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should find a hardback black one somewhere around you. Turn to the back. Find page 132. You'll be at in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, and you'll be in chapter 5. Uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 8 today, continuing our series, My Jesus, I love Thee. The subtitle is Passover Lamb, which that's what we find out about Christ in verse 7. So would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, if you are able. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8, and this is God's Word. It is actually reported... That there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in body, this is Paul speaking, I am present in spirit. And as if present... Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for these words. They're located in a... We have to say it, in a difficult spot. But Lord, I do recognize the fact that when the church comes into hard spots, you've not left us without direction and without someone to guide us. We thank you for Paul and his ministry to this church at Corinth. We thank you for our Passover lamb, which has made us into a new lump. Father, give us the courage to cleanse out the old leaven and to cooperate with Christ as He works in the new leaven of sincerity and truth in His body. We pray it all for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. If we wanted to find out more about Jesus, one way to do so is we could, we could search the Bible and we could find places where uh, there are names or titles describing Jesus. Now, that is what we're doing in this particular series. We want to take a look at some of the many ways that God uses the Scripture to describe Jesus. And as we're doing so, we need to keep in mind that we're doing this not for the sake of just information, but for the twin and inseparable purposes of devotion and obedience. The Bible doesn't have a book called Names of Jesus. Those names are revealed throughout the Bible in specific places that not only reveal the person and work of Christ, but the person and work of Christ revealed and applied in a particular context for the people of God. And today's text is one such text. We gain a fuller understanding of Jesus within the text, and in light of the situation of this church at Corinth. So, we must let the text not only open up the ugliness of sin, but it also must open up for us, against this backdrop of the ugliness of sin, the beauty of Christ, our Passover lamb, as the only way to deal with the situation that is before the Corinthian church, and situations have become before our church to deal with them in a way that is biblical, that it builds up, and then, listen to this, protects the church. But that's not the end of it. It glorifies Christ and the work that He has accomplished and continues to do on behalf of His people. There's four points that organize this morning's text. Verse 1 reveals to us Paul's... Report. Again, verse 1, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. This is what Paul's report is. He's telling them what he has heard. He's hearing that the church in Corinth tolerates gross... Sexual immorality. More specific, a man in the church is in an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. That's what Paul's heard of this church. Now we know that that Paul is is not going to let this slide for a number of reasons many of which I've already stated. But I do want to address something that often is misunderstood about the way the church is commanded in Scripture to do biblical church discipline. Now, I want you to turn back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's so good to hear those pages flipping. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 2. He writes, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So Paul addresses this letter to the church. He puts an even finer point on it to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. I believe what Paul is saying here is it does not matter what your church role says. I'm speaking to the people who are sanctified and who are called to be saints. In other words, he said, I'm speaking to the regenerated people. Because we all know, even here today, there may not be everyone in this room regenerated. And they will hear things like what Paul has to say and they bounce off deaf ears. Paul is... is, in the rest of the letter he details a number of sins that are troubling but yet he's called them saints. So that begs the question what what gives? Well here's what gives because the Christian is both saint and sinner, you can expect to find sin in the church. Because the Christian is both saint and sinner, you can expect to find sin in the church. So when we think about church discipline That's what Paul's thinking about here. There are expected sins. There are are sins that you expect to find in the church. doesn't mean this. doesn't mean when a person comes and sits with me, and and we talk about church membership, that I have a list of of sins they're expected to commit. We expect you to to balk at the leadership. We expect you to to not show up to church. We expect you to backbite and tattle. We expect you to do all these things. Do you have a problem with that? That's not what is being communicated by expected sins. There's no expectation that you will commit these sins. What I mean by that is it's just not surprising. It's just not surprising. It's what we come to know of in Scripture as indwelling sin. It's the sin that remains. Paul says, you are a new loaf, but work out the old leaven. The old leaven is indwelling sin. Now, just because it's indwelling sin doesn't mean that it's insignificant sin. We need to get that straight. There is no insignificant sin. Christ died for the big ones that we love to say, ooh, that's a big one. And He died for the ones that we think are just so minimal. And because He died for all of those sins and we died with Christ, then that means all sin must be put to death in our lives and in the church. Paul says in Romans chapter 7. He struggles with the indwelling sin. We, we should get that out there, right? He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I hate, those are the things I do. What a struggle with Paul. With indwelling sin. But he looks to Christ and he says, Man, I'm such a wretched man, but Jesus has my victory. So it's not surprising That we find sin in the church. But here's one thing I want us to all understand. Unbelievers are surprised to find sin among us. They look at us and they go, Those hypocrites. Those two-faced folks. Well, what do we do? How do we... What perspective do we bring to expected sins? Well, I'm going to use this to kind of help us understand... Expected sins receive a terror alert of green. What do I mean by terror alert? Well, first of all, are you a terror to yourself? In other words, is your actions, these sinful actions, do they possibly reveal a false profession and a false confession that would affect you in the day of judgment? Also, I mean, are you a terror to others? Are you harming others? Other fellow believers. And then finally, are you a terror to the church? Are you causing division? Are you leading the church away from a wholehearted pursuit of holiness? Are you a terror to church in how you demean God and His Word? That's what I mean by terror alert. In expected sense, receive a terror alert of green. Well, how do we address expected sins? There's two ways. First of all, self-discipline. Self-discipline. We must. Paul writes to Timothy in, in instructing him as a pastor, himself. He says, physical discipline is good, but you discipline yourself for godliness. The second way is accountability with other believers. All of the you's, I would say almost all, and I haven't gone back and checked, of all the you, the uses of the word you, in First Corinthians, those are plural. No one, let me say it again, no one is a lone ranger Christian. We are called to sharpen one another. We are called, and and I've, you've heard this this verse from Galatians before, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The context of that verse is if someone is caught in sin, let one of you who is mature go to that person. And then it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are not meant to fight sin alone. It's never been that way. Then there are unexpected sins. Unexpected sins. Paul says in verse 1, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. What is surprising to Paul, and I haven't finished the rest of the verse, is that there's sexual immorality in that church. That surprises him. Now some might say that sexual immorality in Corinth shouldn't be a big surprise, because Corinth was such a bad Place that they actually created in Greek a verb. If you were really going to go out and sin big time, you were going to go out and Corinthianize. They actually created a verb. So you might think it shouldn't be surprising that these people in this church are that, that their sexual morality. Here's the thing what they're doing is significant. And I'll explain why in just a minute. And it is outward. Paul says, listen, he says, it's reported. It's significant and it's outward. It's not hidden. Why is this so surprising? Because of what we believe about the work of Christ in our life. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. And therefore, I no longer live. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. This is why it's surprising. So the terror alert on unexpected, unexpected sins is yellow because you are a terror to yourself. It needs some mature leaders in the church to go to that person and say, why are you persisting in this sin? If you persist in this sin and you are unrepentant, this gives the impression that the old is still there, the new hasn't come. It indicates that you have not been crucified with Christ and that you live, not Christ. You're also a terror to other believers. Imagine what the harm that sexual immorality can do in a church, we've heard that in other denominations, but then also ours as well, that sexual immorality does great harm to other believers and it shames those believers. It's also a terror to the church when it indicates possible tolerance of significant and outward sin. But I want to clue you in on something green can become yellow. You might think, how's that? when you stop fighting sin, when you're indifferent to it. There's this old adage that if you put a frog in boiling water, he'll hop right out. But if you put the frog in some comfortable water and then set that kettle on the stove and slowly turn up the temperature, he'll get so used to that temperature that he'll boil before he hops out. You know, absenteeism in the church should be surprising. But it's not surprising in so many places because the church has allowed it. When I was a coach and one of my players, you could see on film, that player messed up. Coach Bond, one of two things are happening. You're either coaching that or you're allowing it, to ha- allowing it to happen, which is it? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Green can become yellow when you are slow to repent. You think, you know, I really don't have to repent of that. It's not really something that's, that's that big of a deal. And so I don't need to repent. So how do you address that? You address it with biblical church discipline. Now, I want to put a quote on the screen. This is from J.C. Ryle. He writes this. "This This is a statement that perfectly describes why church discipline is so crucial. He says, If friends will not walk in the narrow way with us, we must not walk in the broad way to please them. Health is not infectious, but disease is. this sin that Paul has found in Corinth, it's, it's, it's not an expected sin. It's not even an unexpected sin. It is an unimaginable sin. He says, look again, it's shocking. He says, of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. And you might think, that is so odd. But do you know the common grace of God restrains human sinfulness? Did you know that? God puts a conscience in the mind of people. God also restrains their evil. So the world will not be as bad as it can possibly be. And sometimes our conscience is enshrined into law as a collective moral conscience for the common good. But he says, look, these folks who don't have the law, they look at this and they say, I cannot believe that. In fact, Romans and Greeks both had a law against incest. It was so egregious and outrageous and unimaginable to them. Well, as you can imagine, the terror alert here is red. The person... The man who has his father's wife is a terror to himself. Because I think we could all agree there is serious concern about his salvation. He's also a terror to others. He's promoting sexual immorality. He's also a terror to the church. There's no church discipline here. There's no real concern for the holiness of God's temple. The church. I'm going to clue you in on something else. Yellow can become red. Yellow can become red when a person no longer calls sin, sin. When they embrace it instead of being repentant. When it's no longer surprising, but instead it's celebrated. And yellow can become red when church leadership fails to step up. Well, how do you address this? You address it through biblical church discipline. Now I realize I've taken a long time to get through that. But there are some key things here for us to understand leading up to Paul's approach to this church. And his next, the next thing Paul does is he rebukes them. So he gives his report and then he rebukes them. And, and I've kind of taken the liberty to form what he says to them as questions. He says, why are you arrogant? Why are you arrogant? I'll explain what he means by arrogant in just a moment. But the point he's making is there is a surprising, appalling, astonishing arrogance. He also basically asked the question to him, why aren't you mourning? Why aren't you grieving over this sin? But what he finds is a surprising, appalling, astonishing lack of mourning. He basically says, why haven't you removed this man? Now, isn't that a good question? Lots of people had wrestled with this. And I found a commentary that I think really puts its finger on, on the situation. And, and specifically, why have they not removed this man? Interpreters puzzle over the source of the Corinthians' pride and the reason they allowed such... An, I want to go back and say that again. Interpreters puzzle over the source of the Corinthians' pride. And the reason they allowed such an egregious sin to continue unpunished. Were they arrogant? In other words, did they permit the, the member, did they have a theological view that allowed him to have Christian freedom? Hey, it's, Christ has set us free. Is that it? Or, or does it view the body and the actions of it as, they don't really matter, it's, it's your soul that, that really matters. Is that it? Is it something theological? Or was the problem primarily social in nature? Was the perpetrator of high social standing? Perhaps a rich patron or benefactor. And the church feared action due to the person's status. Either way, Paul's mandate to the church is crystal clear. Since he does not dwell on the particulars, we have to concede that all historical reconstructions remain a guess as to what led to this disastrous situation. The circumstances that allowed the sin would have been of concern, but Paul focuses on the present reality and the necessity of confrontation. Nothing less than the sanctity of God's temple is at stake. But we can't necessarily rule out that the church here does what their culture occasionally does for socially prominent people. They turn a blind eye to that person's sin rather than risking losing their favor and becoming their enemy. All of these questions, basically Paul is communicating to them, you have defaulted on your responsibility. The leadership, he's a church congregation, you've defaulted on your responsibility. Church leadership, you have defaulted on your responsibility. God's word has been demeaned and his authority dethroned in the church at Corinth. God's glory has been dragged through the filth of this unrepentant, unaddressed sin in the church at Corinth. The church's witness has been defamed. Paul says it's actually reported. This is not an isolated incident. It's out there. Their witness has been defamed in the city of Corinth. So what do we find here? We find the frog is in the boiling water and it is in serious danger. It's akin to what God speaks to Jeremiah, to the religious leaders in Jeremiah 8. He says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not even know how to blush. The church in Corinth had forgotten How to blush. Paul's response. Present judgment. Picking up in verse 2. He says, And you are arrogant. In other words, he's saying you've got pride. And it's that pride that's keeping you from addressing this sin. You're arrogant. Ought you rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body I am present in spirit and as if present I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That sounds harsh. Very harsh. But Paul says he reminds them that Sin has consequences. And a person can either experience some consequences in the present and face judgment in hope of preventing permanent judgment. Notice what he says. Verse 5, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul's not saying, kick him out of the church and we're done with him. He's saying, if this man is a saint, we need to snatch him from the jaws of hell. And we need to do so by showing him that if he doesn't repent of his ways and he is cast out of our church, that that could indicate a hardness of heart That could cause the Lord to say, on the day of judgment, depart from me, I never knew you. You sat there in church and you sang, I'll fly away. And you sang, When the roll is called up yonder. And I never knew you. That's why the church practiced what, what we call redemptive church discipline. It's for his good. It's hopefully to save the man from something far worse happening to him. But friends, it's not only for the man, it's also for the church. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there are seven letters to churches in Asia Minor. In five of the seven, Jesus says to them, I see your works, I see what's happening. This one thing I have against you, and if you don't deal with it, I'm coming. You see, it's not just about this man that Paul is concerned; he is about he is concerned about a church that would, because of their pride, allow this to go unconfronted, and so Paul's focus is redemptive here too, to where you know again I, I say in Revelation verse, chapters 2 and 3, five different times Jesus says, If you don't, I will come. Now, do you think Jesus is coming to sell Girl Scout cookies there? No. He's not. Paul has in mind not only the redemption of this man, but the redemption of the, cult, the, the, the church there in Corinth. He wants to save the church from something far worse happening to it. So now we get to Paul's reason. You probably think, Brother Shannon, are we ever going to get to the Passover lamb part? Here we are. But you need to understand something. And I'm going to reiterate this. We learn about Jesus being called Passover lamb in the context of this right here. So it must be important for us to remember should our church ever face something similar. Paul gives the reason for his rebuke and for his response the first one he gives to us in verse six. He says, Your boasting is not good. He's talking about what he means by your boasting is not good. He means the fact that you in your pride have not confronted this. He's saying, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that just a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little. A small bit, a little leaven, leavens the whole thing. Not just part of it, all of it. A leaven here, we need to understand it's not really talking about yeast. It's talking about if you pull, I guess, I don't know enough about this so I'm going to show my ignorance. If you pull like a piece off of some dough that already has leaven in it, you take that and you work it through the the next batch of dough um, and, and then that leavens the dough. That's what's talked about here. But the leaven that that Paul is addressing here is sin. And it is here, namely in verse 6, he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little bit of leaven, leaven's the whole lump? He's talking about their pride. The arrogance that led to the toleration of this man's sin. But we have to also say that this man's sin is leaven also. And the malice and evil that Paul talks about in verse 8, that's sin also. Now you might think, eliminate contamination. Isn't this just a little bit of an overreaction? Isn't this just a little bit over the top? Didn't one sin bring utter destruction to all mankind? Didn't it contaminate all of creation? Didn't Christ pay it all? There's nothing left? Won't the new heavens and the new earth be completely holy? Wouldn't one sin have disqualified Christ from being our Passover lamb? And if Jesus didn't pay it all in our lives... Can we stand before God? I would say this is not an overreaction. Paul is telling them this. He said, I don't want, you guys are a new lump. I don't want you contaminated with this. Another one of Paul's reasons is to encourage cleansing. Notice he says in verse 7 cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. there is undwelling sin in our lives. Individually. But is Paul talking to individuals here? Indirectly. Here he's talking to the church. He's saying clean out the old leaven. Why? Because you are a new lump. Put to death the sin that is among you. Do not allow your body to be used as instruments for sin. Put it to death. Cleanse it out. Get rid of it. You are new. Christ lives in you. You are a new creation. And I want you to see how he proves that and how he addresses this situation. Look again. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. What are the Corinthians? Are they Jews or are they pagans? By birth, they're pagans. But by rebirth, this is how Paul's addressing them they are sons of Abraham. They are a new lump. They don't have the identity of old pagan Corinthians. Now they are old pagan Corinthians who are saved by grace through faith. They really are a new lump, they have a new identity. The blood of Christ, the Passover lamb, has been applied to the door of their heart. And on the day of judgment, God will pass over them with His death angel. So what Paul is telling them, when they're to cleanse out the old leaven because you really are a new lump. One commentator said it this way, This is a become what you are situation. And I want you to listen to this. The Corinthians are a new batch without yeast. They really are. But to be really that new batch, they must get rid of the old yeast, where Paul's verb means clean out. Sin is dirty and defiling. The big ones and small ones. Dirty and defiling. And like yeast, it will work until it permeates the whole. The only remedy is to clean out the evil entirely. So Paul speaks of a new batch without yeast. Listen to this. The Christian church is not just the old society patched up. It is radically new. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And so the evil that characterizes worldly people has been taken away. And so they really are free from corruption. Paul doesn't say, listen to this. Paul doesn't say, you ought to be without yeast. But he states it as a fact as what Christians really actually are. Therefore, they must not bring back the old yeast, which in this context, of course, symbolizes evil. But there's something else in play here as well. I just mentioned a minute ago how you might take leaven from an old lump, put it in a new lump, and work it through. But there was a Jewish custom that surrounded Passover, and it ...involved clearing out the old leaven from the house. There was not supposed to be any leaven in the house at Passover. So then there was a completely new start of bread... ...made with the next year's grain. And so the first batch of dough from which the new bread was made... ...is therefore a new lump. It has no leaven. It's completely unleavened. And after the Feast of Unleavened Bread... ...new leaven would be introduced into the house... So by virtue of their turning to Christ, these Christians were now a new creation, a new lump, and they should live this out in their own experience. Paul calls the Corinthians without yeast, and he means that by virtue of their calling as God's holy people, they were to be holy in life. Here, the imperative, calling them to holiness, would be unthinkable without the indicative, indicative telling them that they are I realize I'm going long. I appreciate your patience. A third reason Paul gives a rebuke and a response is to exalt Christ. He says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. See, in the Old Testament, When Passover was observed, the leaven would be removed before the sacrifice. Furthermore, it would be repeated year after year to look back on what God had done through the Passover in Egypt, bringing the people of God out of bondage to slavery. And it delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, but listen, it did not deliver them from the bondage of sin. And so as they looked backward to how God brought them out of Egypt, it also pointed to Christ. So when Christ came in the New Testament, instead of cleaning out the leaven and then sacrificing Christ, the sacrifice was first, and then the leaven is removed after the sacrifice. So Paul's mention of Passover looks back at Christ's death, which happened, guess when? During the Passover celebration. And He, not the Passover lambs of the past... But Him as the Passover Lamb, He's the one that removed our bondage to sin so that we can really be an entire new lump. Final reason to enable celebration. See, Passover was followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We need to understand that Christ is the Passover Lamb has broken the power of the old leaven. When Paul says, cast out the old leaven, he's not saying, hey, good luck, hope you can do it. Christ has defeated sin. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that Christ has defeated the power of sin? He has. Christ has made His people a new loaf by removing the old leaven. So he says in verse 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, which sounds weird because we're not Jews and there's no need to celebrate the Passover anymore. But he's pointing us back to Christ and showing us that because he is the Lamb that brought us out of bondage to our sin, here's how we celebrate our Passover with our Passover lamb. We do it by actively getting rid of the old leaven both in ourselves and in our church. And then we celebrate that Christ who has made us a new lump is actually working his leaven throughout the new lump. We also celebrate by coming alongside and working with, cooperating what Christ is actively doing when he works that leaven into and through the new lump in ourselves and in the church. And the leaven that Christ is working into the church, and I know it says here, unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Unleavened in that case means without sin. But Christ is working new leaven into the church. And how does that leaven look? It looks nothing like the sin, the old leaven. It's actually something that just like the old leaven can affect the whole loaf. Sincerity, purity, truth. Christ redeemed us from sin and from the power of sin. There will be times when someone is caught in sin. I want to ask you a serious question Will we help them? Will we help them? And it could be that the terror red in their life has gone from green to yellow started off, it wasn't a bad thing, but now there's some serious concerns. We really need to follow up with this person. Not because we're trying to play sin police, but because we don't want a single person in this fold to wander off from the faith. That's why. Will, will, will we follow after them? Will we say, hey, brother or sister? Let's talk about this from the scripture." If it gets from, from yellow to red, will we give up and say, oh, it's too, too far past now? We can't. We can't. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The power of sin, listen to me, say this to yourself, it's broken. It's broken in your life and it's broken in Cherokee Baptist Church. So I submit to you that if we want to walk in faithfulness to this text, that we celebrate the festival by cleaning out the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, and that we celebrate with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth and do all we can to help the old leaven depart from our midst and do all that we can to help the the, the bread of sincerity and truth be worked among us. Father, we thank you for these words of truth. These are difficult words, Father. I fully understand that. But I am so grateful to know that in some of the darkest, most difficult places of church history and in places that the church can find themselves, we never have to wonder if we've been provided for. You have provided for us. You continue to provide for us. The work of Christ continues to affect us. And it must. For we're not there yet. We look at what's behind and we we strain toward what is ahead. and, And we want to follow Christ. We want to look to Him as the author and perfecter of our faith. So Father, help us. Help us to be people that act as if we really are a new loaf. Help us to be people who are sensitive and compassionate and courageous and working to fight the old leaven and then us to be equally serious and courageous to work in the new leaven. For that's what Christ is doing. and We want to be faithful followers of Him. Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing together. If you need to make any kind of decision at this time, I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to sing the song, Isn't He? And uh, then we'll have prayer time. We'll be dismissed. would please be seated just for a brief moment. I want to briefly look at our prayer list. Um, Ben Campbell, we need to pray for him. He's got some problems with his carotid arteries and uh, the the news about those is is not good. Um, There's some major blockage in there. Hopefully he's going to get a second opinion that would maybe give him uh, some hope as to how they can treat those. But we do need to pray uh, for Ben. Um, We also need to pray for Eddie and Mary Catherine, they are on their way home. They should probably be landing um, here in a couple hours in Houston. Um, So pray for them as they make their way home. Um, Continue to pray for Megan Kirkendall. Uh, She's the young lady that um, we're going to do the fundraiser for, who's had the infection in her leg. Um, They live right over here. Great people. Um, So... uh, continue to pray for him them Uh, Megan is home and she's on some antibiotics and will be uh, for quite a while Um, and so just continue to pray for her healing Uh, pray for Nell Foreman Uh, she's waiting on some biopsy results Um, continue to pray for Will Shannon Um, y'all know an update at all because he had fluid on his lungs COVID related stuff okay Will did go home okay okay we're good um Off the top of my head, I don't know really any others uh, to report to you. Does anyone have an update that you'd like to share or a prayer request you'd like to share? Yes, sir.
4: feeling pretty good, a little
0: tired, doing well, and said so thank everyone for their prayers. So thank you all very much. For that. Amen. Amen. Anything else before we pray? All right, let's stand. Okay, we're all going to bow our heads now, so if you need to yawn, go right ahead. I realize it's almost 12.15, so I apologize for that. Father, we are indeed grateful that we can come to you. Uh, with our our prayers, with our praises. Father, we we do still lift up uh, Megan and Ben uh, and Les and Brenda. Uh, We we thank you, God, that um, Les was able to get those stents. He's feeling better. We praise you for that. We pray that you'd bring him to full healing. We pray for Ben and ask God that uh, this second opinion might offer to him some hope of how there'd be some possible treatment for these clogged arteries. And also, Lord, we pray uh, that you would uh, continue to heal Megan. Father, we pray for for, uh, Mary Catherine and Eddie as they uh, make their way back to the States, um, that they would uh, arrive and that they could get their feet back under them and get some rest and uh, just enjoy uh, reminiscing about how you worked in in Kenya. We pray for that work, that it would continue, and we're thankful that it does, that when um, anyone who goes over there for short term, uh, when they leave, uh, that you don't leave with them. You don't get packed up in their bag. So, Father, we pray that your work there would continue for your glory. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them.